0: All right, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We should have red ones like this in the, uh, the, the chairs in front of you. Or if you want to pull it up on your phone, you're welcome to do that too. If you are using the red ones in your chairs, it should be on page 382. 382. Well, as I said earlier, Peter has written this letter uh, to Christians, and he calls them sojourners and exiles. And that phrase, he didn't come up with it himself. Peter is referring to this time back in the Old Testament where God's people had been sent out from Israel, taken away from Israel, and were living in a foreign land called Babylon. Babylon. And there, they were exiles, sojourners and exiles. And so this morning, we're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah, and he wrote a letter to those exiles to encourage them to to live faithfully in a foreign land, awaiting their return. And as Christians today, that's us. We live in this world as sojourners and exiles, awaiting the day where those who are in Christ will be brought back into the presence of God for eternity. And this is also the conclusion of our brief summer series on what does it mean to be Christians defined by love. And so the question we're going to ask about this text is, what does it mean to love one another while we're sojourners and exiles in this land? What what does it mean to live faithfully amongst a people and in a land that we don't call our eternal home? Jeremiah wrote this letter to encourage them, and I think he's writing it to us to encourage us. So let me read it, then I'll introduce it a little bit, and then we'll go from there. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa and the son of Shephan, and Gamariah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you, deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and, and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now through your spirit and in your word, you would strengthen us and encourage us. Lord, that you would convict us and press upon us. Lord, that we would learn what it means to be your faithful sojourners and exiles even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week, I was, I was out of town, many of you know that, and uh, this was the first major trip that I had taken in well over a year. I mean, maybe some of you have traveled over the last year, but this is my first time to be away from home in probably a year and a half, and I was gone all week long, and I, I, I missed home. I missed my bed. I missed my wife and kids. I, I missed you guys. I mean, I don't normally see every one of you throughout the week, but being away from here made me miss my church. And I miss our city. I I miss the familiarity. I I was in St. Louis, and I've lived in St. Louis for a while, but I was in a part of the town that I didn't normally spend time in, and I was with, like, several hundred other people that I did not know, and I was busy, and it was tiring, and I was homesick. Like, I, I was longing each day to come home. Have you ever felt homesick like that? Have you ever maybe traveled for business or vacation and just longed to be back in your own bed? Maybe uh, if you went to college after high school, that was like the first time where you were ever like away from home for a while. Have you ever felt homesick? I was feeling homesick. And in Jeremiah 29, the prophet is writing a letter to a group of people who are homesick. They're longing to be back home in Jerusalem, in, in the city of David. They miss being back home because perhaps not more than a few months before this letter was written, King Nebuchadnezzar of, of Babylon marched in with his army and dragged people away. They missed their home, they missed their friends and their family. Yes, they were allowed to live, they weren't prisoners of war, they were allowed to live in the city, but they were certainly homesick. And we too, Christians today living in the 21st century, we have a kind of homesick, maybe you've felt it, maybe you haven't. We're living in a land, a country, a world that is not our ultimate home. We're not living where we were created to live, which was with the presence of God. Peter is writing in 1 Peter to sojourners and exiles. Jeremiah is writing to sojourners and exiles. We are sojourners and exiles. And in this letter to people who are homesick, Jeremiah is encouraging them to be faithful in the midst of that, to love the people that they're around in the midst of that. And so we need to ask the question, what does that mean for us? Well, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jeremiah asks his people, the people of God, to shift their perspective in three different ways. And if only they would shift their, their perspective in three ways, well, then they would know what it means to live as sojourners and exiles in the land. These are the three shifts. If you want to write these down, this is where we're headed. The first is to shift from being a refugee to being a resident, from being a refugee to being a resident. The second is shifting from being militant to being a missionary, from being militant to being a missionary, and then finally from shifting from being homesick to being hopeful, from being homesick to hopeful. Well, let's walk through each of these first. Jeremiah tells us to shift from being a refugee to being a resident. A refugee is someone who has been displaced from their home, someone who's been taken, whether it was because they left because of the situation was so bad or they've been dragged away. someone who's been displaced from their home, living someplace else against their desire. And this was the mentality of the Israelites in Babylon. In verse 1, we read, Jeremiah addresses his audience, and he says, It is to those whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken into exile. As I mentioned before, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men of the ancient world, one of the greatest armies, marched into Jerusalem, ransacked the city, plundered the villages, burned down homes, and then took people and dragged them to Babylon. These people were displaced. They were refugees. And other sources, we know that the Israelites, they didn't live in the middle of the city. They actually lived in camps on the outside of the city. They were living in refugee camps. That is how they understood their situation, as a refugee And yet, Jeremiah pens this letter, the word of the Lord comes to him, and in verse 4, the Lord begins to speak and says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile. So which one was it? Did Nebuchadnezzar bring these people into exile? Or did the Lord send them? exile, Because the way you think about that determines why they're there. If it's only that Nebuchadnezzar dragged them into exile, then yes, they are refugees. But if the Lord sent them, well, then there's a purpose behind it. There's a reason why they are there. For the Israelites, they thought that the reason why they were there was because of King Nebuchadnezzar. But according to God, he sent them. What's the story that you tell yourself about why you live where you live? What's the story that you tell yourself about why you moved to the house that you moved into? Did you move here looking for a job? Or maybe your career was closer here and so you moved up. Maybe financially, this is what made most sense for you. Maybe you weren't from Cleveland originally, and you thought, well, Cleveland's an up-and-coming city. It's going to be fun. I'm going to move to Cleveland. What's the story that you tell yourself about why you live where you live? Whatever reason you might think it is, and there are valid reasons, would you consider also that God has sent you to live where you live? It's very biblical to think that way. In Acts 17, Paul says that it was the Lord who has determined the time periods and places of our dwelling. Yes, you might have lived, moved to where you move now because of X, Y, and Z, but behind all of those reasons is this greater purpose. God has sent you to live where you live. So we have to ask why. Like, why then did God send Israel there? Why has he sent you where you live? What's the reason? Jeremiah tells the Israelites to stop thinking of themselves as refugees, displaced from their home, but rather to think of themselves as residents in Babylon. Sent there to put down roots. Look at what verse 5 says. The Lord says, build houses and live there. Plant gardens and eat of their produce. He talks about getting married and having kids and then having those kids get married and having grandkids. He's saying, put down roots where I have sent you. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. Root yourself in the place that I have sent you. Become a resident of the community I have sent you into. God is telling us to invest ourselves into the lives of those around us, to build new relationships, to cultivate the relationships that you already have, to to stop looking to the grass that might be greener on the other side of the tracks. Like It might be, but right now God has called you here. There's nothing wrong for planning and for having dreams for what life might look like one day, but recognize that if you just keep thinking about what might be next, you're forgetting about what is right in front of you. He has sent you here, wherever it is, and he sent you for a reason, to root yourself there, to become residents here. Don't spend your time here thinking about what life might look like there. If that's what you do, you're going to miss out on what God desires to do in you and through you right now. What does that look like? What does it look like to be rooted in the community God has sent you? Well, it means getting to know the people around you. Your neighbors, your baristas at the coffee shop that you frequent each week. You know, when you go to the grocery store, Do you know your grocery clerk's name? When you go to the gym, do you see the same people every week? Do you know their names? Do you know what's going on in their life? Maybe go to the farmer's market. Go to a local restaurant. Get to know the owners of the people who are investing themselves into the city. Pay attention to the people around you. You are not a refugee here. You are a resident. God has sent you here. That's the first shift. The second one is to change from being militant to being missionary. To go from being militant to being a missionary. One thing we need to keep in mind in this passage, and I've already said it, King Nebuchadnezzar came in with an army and destroyed Jerusalem, burned down their homes, killed their loved ones, and now they have been dragged into Babylon. They are living in enemy territory. The people around them are their enemies. If they could, the Israelites would have raised up a militia to attack and try to overthrow. They were desperate, but they couldn't. They had nothing, and so they didn't. But Jeremiah, the Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, calls out to these people who have a militant perspective towards their neighbors. And he says this in verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you. Pray to the Lord on their behalf. For in their welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek their welfare. Pray for them. Do good to them. Intercede for their needs. If it goes well for them, then it will go well for you. That is what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah. Do not think of your neighbors as your enemy. Love them. Pray for them. Work for their good. I have sent you there, not as an army to attack them, but as missionaries to intercede for them, to minister to to them, That is why I have sent you. I know that no one in this room wants to kill their neighbor. But I also know that it is increasingly difficult to live in a world with a wedge driven between Christians and non-Christians. Like I know that it is increasingly becoming hostile. That there are offenses and opponents to our worldview that we believe. I understand that. But let me just remind you again and again your neighbors are not your enemy. Your neighbors, your coworkers, are not your enemy. Your bosses are not your enemy. Even the worst of the worst criminal, wherever they might be from, whatever they might look like, whatever they have done, they are not the enemy. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we do not fight against flesh and blood. So what are we supposed to do? Pray for them. Even if you think that they are your enemy, pray for them. That's what Jesus says. Love your enemies. And that certainly includes praying. It's not so much of an issue at this time of year, but during any political election season, whether it's before, during, or after, it is incredibly easy. If your preferred candidate does not get into the office that you want them into, to hold animosity, not only against them, but against their supporters. But Paul in Romans tells us to pray for those in authority over us. He was talking about Caesar. And he said, Pray for them. Pray for everyone in authority over you, even if you don't like them. If your boss is terrible, pray for them. If your teacher is unbearable, pray for them. If your supervisor is harsh, pray for them. If your parents are intolerable, pray for them. Jeremiah tells us to pray to the Lord on their behalf, even if we don't like them. It is hard to hate someone that you are committed to praying for. How are we to pray for them? Well, certainly the Psalms give us some prayers of calling down God's justice and wrath, right? Now here, Jeremiah tells us to pray for them in such a way that we seek their welfare. Pray for their good. Pray that they would flourish. Pray that they would have health and vitality. And not just pray for it. Seek it. Work for it. Fight for it. Fight for their welfare. Find ways to make their lives better. In the city's welfare, you will find your welfare. What does that mean? What does that word welfare mean? It's a Hebrew word, shalom. Will you say shalom? Shalom. Usually, Shalom is translated peace. So most often when you're in the Old Testament, it talks about peace. It's the word shalom. But I'm really glad that the translators do not translate it peace. Because if it said, seek to have peace with your neighbor, well then we would just isolate ourselves and ignore them and try not to have division with them and try not to disturb them. We'd try to just sort of live at peace with them. But he says, seek their welfare. Move toward them and help them. Because peace is not merely the absence of strife. Peace, shalom, means health and vitality. It means flourishing. It means strength. For some, to flourish, to have shalom, it means to escape oppression and injustice that has kept them down. For others, it means getting out of debt that has prevented advancement. For others, it means reconciliation and restitution within relationships. Shalom is hard to work towards. And Jeremiah tells us to seek that for. Our city. What are the needs of your neighbor? What is hindering them from health and vitality? What are the failures in the city that are preventing flourishing? The Lord is telling us to seek the welfare of the city that he has sent us to. Because if the city thrives we will thrive. Do you want to live in a great city? Like, do you, do you want more people to move into your city so that it becomes even greater than you might already think it is? Do you want to be proud of your city? Then seek its welfare. Fight for its health and vitality. Where do we start? Well, we start with Prayer. That's where Jeremiah starts. Pray to the Lord on their behalf. I love this quote, and I think it totally applies. Before you talk to your neighbor about God, talk to God about your neighbor. Go to God and pray for your neighbor. Start by praying for your neighbors around you, but pray for the mayor of the city too. Prayer, pray for your barista or your bartender. Pray for the other families that you meet at the park. Pray for the homeless that you see on the street. Pray for this city and seek its welfare. Finally, Jeremiah tells us to shift from being homesick to being hopeful. To shift from being homesick to being Hopeful. I've said it again and again. These people were homesick. They were far from home. When Sarah and I moved to India, the first three weeks were some of the hardest weeks of that year because we longed to be back home. We longed to not be in this confusing, strange, different place. And it made it hard to do any of the work that we were there to do. When we're homesick, we become passive, we become insular, we care for our own sake and trying to make ourselves feel better, forgetting what we've been called to do. What got us out of being homesick in that time was actually like making our own house comfortable, to make it feel like our home. Like we, When we feel homesick, we long for things that remind us of comfort. Maybe when you went off to college, your parents sent you a care package and it might have had a a picture of your family together and you put it up on your desk. That helped with the homesickness, right? We long for comforts that take care of us and remind us of being home. But the homesickness that these people were feeling, it wasn't just wanting to be back in Jerusalem, Because in Jerusalem, there was also the temple. And when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, he not only burned down houses, but he marched into the temple and carried off the elements that assisted in their worship. Not only were these Israelites longing to be back home in Jerusalem, they were longing to be at home in the presence of God, where they could go into the house of God and offer worship and prayer with the people of God. No longer could they do that. And so they were feeling homesick for the presence of God. We all feel this. Look, a year and a half ago, churches closed their doors and for many months, we longed to be in a house of prayer. That is only a slimmer, a little glimpse of this eternal homesickness that we all feel. This is not our home. We long to depart and be with the presence of God. And I think because we treat homesickness with comforts. We try to surround our lives with comforting things to get rid of that deep homesickness. But isn't it the truth that those things that we try to comfort ourselves with don't really comfort us? C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote that he says, if we find in ourselves a desire a longing for a comfort that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that we were made for another world. Our unsatisfied desires point to the reality of our eternal homesickness. We were made for an eternal presence with God. That is what the Israelites in exile longed for. And so Jeremiah wrote, giving them hope. Giving them hope. The Lord spoke and said, in 70 years, I will come and visit you. I will bring you back. I will take you home from the place that you have been sent into exile. This wasn't just a hope that these people would return from Babylon to Israel. Because the people reading this letter, they weren't going to ever get back to Israel. Most people in the ancient world lived 40, maybe 50, maybe 60 years. When we read 70 years from now, you know, for us 20-somethings, I'm not 20 anymore. For if you're 20, 70 years from now seems like, all right, it's going to be a long road ahead of me, but I think I might make it. For an Israelite in Babylon hearing 70 years, you know how they heard that? I'm never going back home. I'm going to die here. My kids might die here. But my grandkids, they might make it back. The hope that Jeremiah offers them is not the hope of earthly comfort, of going back home. It is an eternal hope, of our eternal comfort at home with the presence of God. This word of hope was not, you're coming back home, it was, when you die you're going to go to where your heart has been longing for your whole life. Do you care more about your eternal home than you do your earthly comforts? Do you care more about your eternal joy than what the things of this world offer us? Only when we care more about that eternal hope that is ours in Jesus, well, then we are free to not get so worked up about the cares of this world. Look, if we are going to live as sojourners and exiles in Mayfield and in Lyndhurst and in Cleveland, it is going to get uncomfortable. It's going to mean opening up your home even if it's an inconvenience to you. It's going to mean talking to people that you're not comfortable talking with. It's going to mean building a relationship with someone that otherwise you would not have anything in common with. It is going to be uncomfortable. But do you care more about your earthly comfort than your eternal joy or their eternal joy? We need a shift from being homesick and trying to feel comfortable here and turn our attention to our hope that we have that is eternal and secure. How are we assured of that hope? How do we know that we have this eternal home waiting for us? The Lord says, I will visit you and I will give you what I have promised, which is to take you back to myself. God has visited us, He has come already. Jesus is the one who came to us in exile. He is the one who stepped out of his own home to come into a foreign land, to be amongst a people who were sinful, who made Jesus their enemy. He stepped into a foreign land. He became homeless so that we could have this promise eternal home. Look, he built relationships with the people around him. He rooted himself in the place that the Father had sent him. He came to those who hated him. And how did he respond? Compassionately praying for them. Even when he was going to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus lived faithfully as a sojourner and exile in this world. Why? So that he could bring us home. Why are we in exile? Why are we here, sojourners in exile, Part of the reason why it is so difficult to live here is because part of that exile is because we are sinners. That was the reason why Israel was in Babylon. They had broken their covenant with God, and God sent them in exile in judgment. We suffer because our sin has separated us from the love of God. We long to be reconciled back into the presence of God, but that cannot happen until our sin is dealt with, that judgment is passed, and we are welcomed home. While we were in exile, Jesus came. He visited us to bring us back to himself. He became in exile in our place. He took our judgment He took the justice of God against us. And only because he became in exile could we, through him, find our way home. Not to the comforts of this life, but to our eternal home, where you and I will continually come into his presence and pray to him, and he will hear our voices. Let us be those kinds of people who bring the needs of our neighbors to the ear of God, who build roots into our communities, whose gaze is not on the things of this world, but lifted high into the heavens where our true home resides. Let's pray. Great Heavenly Father, You are the one who has sent your son so that in him we might be brought back to you. We thank you for the cost that it cost him to reconcile us, the cost of his own life. Lord, we thank you for his deep love for us, we who were your enemies. Jesus laid down his life for us. And he has gone now to prepare a place for us so that when he comes again, Lord, we will be with you forever. We pray for your spirit, that it would fill us up, that it would strengthen us and give us endurance so that we may live faithfully as sojourners and exiles in this land for the good of our neighbor, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.